Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 64 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashbika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're going to discuss the big breaking news that happened last week, uh, Manchester City being banned from UEFA from the Champions League for two years, and obviously the big Chelsea versus Manchester United matchup, and obviously some of the bigger scorelines in the Premier League, such as Liverpool escaping Norwich City, surprisingly, with a 1-0 victory and much more. But to get things started, we obviously have to talk about Manchester City. They've finally been banned from UEFA for the Champions League for the next two seasons. They're still eligible this season to compete. But after this season, right now, um, as it goes, they will be banned from the Champions League for the next two seasons. Manchester City have announced that they will um, hire a third party to investigate the case that they broke the financial fair play rules. And... From what I'm hearing, City are pretty confident that they will get this process appealed if they if they get the third party involved. But um, a lot of people said this was uh, this was forthcoming. But I mean, it's crazy news to think that Manchester City are actually getting banned from the Champions League, which is crazy to think about because half those players, if you look at them, they came to Manchester City to want to play in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. And Manchester City themselves are not surprised about this investigation because they're opening like I guess statement or their rebuttal for this announcement was we're disappointed but not surprised I was like all right <laughs> what <laughs> what does that mean but basically in terms of for those who don't really know the ramifications of this ban is basically if you're like an NFL team you're banned from playing in the playoffs but you're not banned from playing in your division and like in the regular season. So for yeah. like, and this is like a Baltimore Ravens level team. So for them to have all these assets, like all these players like Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling, Bernardo Silva in their prime, Aguero, just like at the end of his prime, it's these players need to win trophies now. So for them to get this ban is very unappealing for these players and particularly their coach, Pep Guardiola, who wants to win the Champions League with a team that doesn't have Messi on it. Mm. It's it's very unappealing for them to stay on a team and maybe lose out on winning this big trophy for those two years. So now I'm honestly still thinking that the appeal is not going to go through because mm. this is a big thing where for Man City, they're supposed to have like their books balanced by the end of the year where they have a certain amount of revenue they gain from shirt sales, from ticket sales, from transfer out of players like the money they receive from other teams and also from sponsorships and that's supposed to balance out with how much money they spend in the transfer market to bring in players and things like that but they committed accounting fraud by by stating they have more revenue from sponsors than they do have than they did earn in order to spend more money in the transfer window to get more players the end and get higher yeah they basically are the end rod <laughs> um, of the football league so that's why uefa is also so hard on them to make like an example out of why they shouldn't or people why teams shouldn't mess up uefa and also man city apparently were not very cooperative in the investigations initially as well in the past several years because these fraudulent i would say accounts or these fraudulent statements have been going on between 2012 to 2016 in particular so it's been going on for a while but it's just only now it's like all right it's time to put the hammer down you know they got psg already in terms of some financial fair play 
issues and like some some fines and things like that. But this is way bigger. Men's City are not only banned for two years, which is huge, but they're also fined 30 million pounds, which is a lot of money. But for, I mean, for them, probably not <laughs> too much. <laughs> but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's some big news. No, but, right? Yeah, I would say for you, Yash, uh, like initial question is, what is your reaction to Man City? And do you, how do you think a Man City fan feels right now? Yeah, I went on Twitter when this broke on Friday, oddly enough, the day before we recorded our last episode. Um, but I went on Twitter. And I was just like, man, this this news basically gives Pep the perfect reason to leave. And my biggest question is like, what happens to the players uh, that are on the squad right now? However, I don't know if Pep Guardiola is just saying these things to, you know, save face and just, you know, kind of help his, I don't know, help his cause at Manchester City. He basically said that I, I will stay here as long as as long as possible, as long as they don't sack me, um, which is good news for Manchester City. However, I don't know if he's just saying that just to say that. But he seems like he's pretty confident because this is, I think, the second time he's mentioned that, you know, he's going to stay here as long as he can. But for the player's point of view, I am genuinely concerned on who or like which players would actually want to stay because it's not like this is a team that is still striving to win the Premier League or other trophies like that they've already won the Premier League twice and they've won the they've won it before in record fashion so it's not like they're striving to win any domestic trophies their biggest goal this season and any seasons beyond was to win a Champions League and that's the biggest reason why they bought Prep Guardiola to Manchester City is to capture the elusive man, like the elusive Champions League title that their neighbors at Manchester United have, Liverpool have, um, and Chelsea have to you know keep up with the big boys, as you would say. But I don't know. For me, I I don't know which players would want to stay if this if this ban actually stays stays through because it's not like it's like what what else can they capture besides the Champions League title? I mean that's what they want. I mean I think that's what every European player that that plays in uh, any of the European clubs once is to capture the Champions League title. And I think asking them to stay away for the competition for two years and take two years out of their prime or two years post their prime, um, I think that's a big, big, big uh, tall order to ask any player at this moment for that, for that squad right now. Mm-hmm. I agree. And also, on top of that, what player is going to want to go to Manchester City with mm-hmm. that two-year ban looming? It's... Maybe yeah. some youth players that might get some big money just going to Manchester City and getting the potential to you know, develop into a, a star team like this. But the two-year wait is pretty significant. And also, as like the NFL kind of scenario and like the comparison is like where they can still play in the Premier League. They still can play in their domestic competitions. But as Josh said, they already won all those. They won the domestic treble, quote-unquote, like a few times now at this point. And it's like they kind of done that. And the main trophy they do want is that Champions League, that playoff, that playoff trophy, that Super Bowl. And if they can't get that trophy, it's like their main focus, their main drive is just kind of out the window and just kind of put on hold. And these players that are on this team, they they're some of them are here just to win that trophy. And some of these players, I honestly think, just based on just Twitter alone and just like the mass number of people just thinking it's like the first person out i think will be like kevin de bruyne because mm. he's literally one of those players is like all right i'm just here to win. what is he linked to do you know anywhere <laughs> anywhere <laughs> anywhere. Oh, anywhere that has champions league 
And okay. right now, Sheffield United <laughs> are in the fifth <laughs> spot. So the top four teams in the Premier League usually are the te- are the four teams that qualify the for top the Premier five. League. But now with Man City not being able to participate in next year's, it will be now moved on spot. to the fifth spot. And right now, the current team in the Premier League that holds that spot is Sheffield United, which would mm-hmm. be insane. I honestly would think that's more insane than seeing Leicester City in the Champions League those few seasons ago. Because Sheffield was a team that just got promoted. And this was a team that a lot of people just kind of threw out there. It was like, all right, no way. <laughs> but now they're here, here they are. They're, yeah, they're doing yeah. it. And they have that drive. But right on their tail, they do have Arsenal. They do have Wolves and all those other teams just right on their tails. But, I mean, they have a, they have a shot now. They have the possibility. But, you know, kind of going back to Man City, though. Do you see the possibility that this ban could possibly be lifted? Because in my mind, I wouldn't be surprised if it got reduced to maybe a year. But also, in that very small chance, the ban gets lifted altogether. And then, all very suspiciously, UEFA just has a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, where'd that come from? I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, people. a lot of people say UEFA is just as corrupt as FIFA. And I, you know... Not a conspiracy theorist, but I wouldn't put it past them to be that corrupt. But you know, honestly speaking, I would not. I genuinely would not be surprised if this uh, ban got appealed, um, just based on the fact that in other sports, it's usually the big boys or the big players, the big teams that somehow find a way to kind of bend the rules or can get the rules bended or get the rules amended just for them. And Manchester City are obviously a team that has a lot of money, and they are. Right now, in this day and age, a big boy in the European, in terms of the European uh, outset. So I genuinely, I wouldn't be surprised if the ban got upheld for them because, or if the ban got appealed for them just because they have a lot of money. Um, UEFA hasn't been the most, I guess, righteous organization ever. Uh, just You just don't know what could happen. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I don't think I would be surprised. Mm-hmm. And. I don't. I don't know how you feel about it. <laughs> I. I. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised either. But at the same time, <laughs> a lot of people are saying that with all these alleg- like allegations and like financial fair play fraud, this team should not have existed. Like this team that's won so many trophies, like broken so many Premier League records and things like that. So, do you feel like with this fraud and all these allegations that it kind of deteriorates or kind of makes their accomplishments not look as sublime or as crazy or as, I guess, credible. I I would say this, that like PSG, uh, a lot of people viewed Manchester City, you know, just as casual fans, you know, even people like that are diehard fans like me and you for their respective clubs. A lot of people, if there was one team that a lot of people just disliked all in, in general, it was Manchester City. You know, you could ask any fan of, you know, whether they were Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool, uh, you know, any type of support in the Premier League, Tottenham. It is, there was always one team that I saw like, ooh, everyone just despised was Manchester City. And I think the biggest reason was is a lot of people felt, you know, quote unquote, I'll put in quotes, the oil money that kind of got brought into the club. And it wasn't a club that kind of or- organically got built and organically got good. It was a team that just had an influx of money, sort of what we're seeing with PSG, just an influx of a lot of money. And which basically allows you to kind of go out and buy whoever you want and build your squad 
just on money and not through, you know, a rich history that, you know, maybe a Liverpool or Manchester United have the luxury of having. But, you know, Manchester City never had like the great academies or anything like that. So a lot of people just kind of looked at them as, oh, they just have a bunch of money. And a lot of people didn't really enjoy the fact that they won things just because it all came down to like everyone would say is, oh, they just had a ton of money on their hands, you know? So I think because of that, I I think people already kind of downplayed some of their titles because of the fact they had so much money. And if you look at what Pep Guardiola has spent at Manchester United, it's a lot. But I think this even uh, adds more fuel to the fire for fans just to say, you know, should like they they basically will say, you know, these trophies don't really count because you guys just broke the rules to get them. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes to another question that has been brought up as well in that. There's talks that the punishments for Manchester City might not go only into UEFA, but also in the Premier League as well in terms of points deductions and also possibly historical points deductions from previous seasons, which means they could be stripped of potential trophies that they did win or things like that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Jose Mourinho joked that obviously, I think it's been three... Three years now or two years now, his side, his Manchester United side finished second. And he joked that, oh, you know, with the points reduction or something like that, that you mentioned, if that happened, you know, maybe United could have won the title, technically speaking, through all this, that they could have won the title under Jose Mourinho in his second season. But he just kind of threw that out there as a joke. Yeah. And that would mean for last season, Liverpool, who were second place, just one point behind Manchester City in the finishing, they would have gotten the title last season then. Mm. Yeah, in like post mortem, but <laughs> in, <laughs> in my opinion, I still feel like despite all this, Manchester City should should still keep their trophies. It's just now it's very tainted, where it's like, oh, they these are some dirty trophies. Yeah, it, it's like crazy because in, in all the major sports leagues, we're starting to see a lot of like cheating going on. Because I don't know, obviously this is a soccer podcast. I'm not going to go too too in depth in this issue, but the MLB, the Major League Baseball in America. Uh, the Houston Astros have recently been have been caught, you know, doing sign stealing and a lot of cheating that has been going on. And a lot of people are asking, a lot of fans are asking the commissioner for the MLB to remove them to strip away their 2017 uh, MLB World Series title. So it's very interesting that you know that cheating scandal came out, and then obviously financial fair play breaking that rules. That's another form of cheating. So a lot of these things that are are starting to come out in all these different sports leagues, I think it's just very, very interesting to see and how it all plays out and how each league kind of divvies out the punishment. But I don't know. I kind of agree with you too. I think stripping away a title and giving it to the other person just doesn't make sense. Cause honestly, if Liverpool, if they were to strip the title from last year and give it to Liverpool, would Liverpool fans really feel that prideful about winning that title? Sure. It may like sound nice, but it's going to be like, Oh, you know, at the like you know at the totality of the season Manchester City still had more points than us we just couldn't get the job done i think i don't think a i don't think fans would be that joyful about winning the title that way i think they would much rather win it you know let's go out and try to win it the right way you know mm-hmm. i agree with you too in that it's like winning an award from 3 years ago it's like man that was 3 years ago <laughs> yeah <It's> like <laughs> If if it was now, it'd be a lot different. But now, just hearing about it, it's like who cares? It's like that was like a few years ago. It's like we all we care about now is the present and yeah. the future. Like the past is a past, but 
at the same time, I think this will be a precedent to all football club owners to not cheat. <laughs> yeah. And this goes to uh, one of my my friends' goals where like we're we're all thinking of pitching in one day to buy a League Seven team in England and you know, trying to get them up the ranks, up the leagues, into the Premier League, and that's our goal. So that's a sign for us. Do not commit fraud. <laughs> no, any type of money fraud in any type of business will get you in deep trouble mm-hmm. and for anyone you else will... who has that same goal don't don't cheat guys yeah don't cheat you will get caught you will you get just caught don't know when you just mm-hmm. don't know when you will get caught that's not the world of the story mm-hmm. oh man but that that definitely was a huge topic that surrounded the soccer world and you're still surrounding it right now because that is huge news but kind of uh going back to the Premier league again but going off to the games the biggest game, Chelsea, Manchester United. Manchester United picking up a 2 0 win over Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. This is now Oligona Solskjaer's third victory against Chelsea this season. I think that's pretty crazy to think. Um, but really, the bigger storyline of this game was if anyone watched it, was VAR basically, in a sense, just screwed over Chelsea in this one. There was, uh, I believe, four instances where VAR was used and it basically hurted Chelsea's chances from winning the game. The first one coming. When Harry Maguire uh, went down to the ground and uh, allegedly, like it looked, it basically was like he stuck out his leg for Michi Bachiwai. And it was very similar to what Hyunmin's son got in trouble for, uh, for Tottenham a couple games ago where he got a red card. But uh, VAR looked at the incident and they did give Harry Maguire a red card for that, for that one. And then for Chelsea's uh, equalizing goal, I believe, to make it 1-1 at the time, uh, there was, you know, Kurt Zuma scored the goal. However, um, VR looked at it and it was basically counted for that Cesar Aspilicueta pushed over Brandon Williams. But if you watched over the film, basically Fred gave uh, Aspilicueta a bit of a nudge. And then because of that, naturally, as your body goes, you're going to have to put your arms out forward to brace yourself. And because of that, he ran into Williams and that bundled him over and that took away the goal for Chelsea. And then for the third and final time, Chelsea looked like at as United were two 0 up. Chelsea scored a two one a goal to make it two one with Olivier Giroud. However, he was offsides, and a lot of people weren't arguing about that. It just it was a very it, it just hurt a lot of Chelsea fans just because of the previous incidents. But it was the right call. He was offsides, and obviously with the way VAR has shown with their offsides this entire season is that if even if your little piece of cloth of your shirt or your hand is offsides, you will be called offsides. So they got that one right. However, this brings off another topic of VAR. It seems like when we were just starting to like kind of go away from talking about VAR, it reared his head back in this game. And just because a lot of people are talking about it because it's the lack of consistency in the calling. Um, if you're going to give Hyunmin Son a red card for his sticking out of a leg his last game, why isn't Harry Maguire getting a red card in this one? And the VAR review of the Aspilicueta being called a push I don't know, something like that. There needs to be some sort of change or some modification how you see the rule because anybody that's played any type of sport or any human being just knows that if you get nudged in the back, your natural tendency is to brace yourself, which will nudge the other person. So it's not like Aspilicueta came in intentionally trying to push Brandon Williams. It just happened to be like that. But VAR, again, being the main center point over what's supposed to be a really good matchup between Chelsea and Manchester United. Mm Mm-hmm. And even then, 
for this game, the ref, the main ref, Anthony Taylor, was the same ref that was refing the game Chelsea versus Tottenham Hotspurs, where Hyungmin Sun got that red card for kicking out an, an Antonio Rudiger. But I think the difference was that the VAR ref was different. And yeah. the opinion of the VAR ref is what will make VAR still kind of controversial in terms of consistency and also more prone to human decision making because you know it'll be it'll depend on the VR ref of the day thinking is like uh oh, that's that's a red card uh oh, that's not a red card and in terms of the history of these two players in terms of Hyungmin Sun and Harry Maguire doing the kicking out Hyungmin Sun this season in particular has had quite a temper yeah doing it for no reason <laughs> yeah doing it for no reason and you know kicking like he was literally just kicking straight up into Antonio Rudiger and I'm a big Hyungmin Sun fan because you know he's team Asia right there but Oh yeah, you know this season in particular, he's just been kind of like the temper's gotten a over him head. a few times. Hot yeah, hot head, and he's gotten two red cards this season, so it's not like yeah. a, a one-off thing. It's been multiple instances. He's gotten away with a, with a few already this season, so yeah, I, I feel like that was kind of catching up to him. While for Harry Maguire, this was kind of like one of those first case scenarios, but at the same time, it's a little daunting for or a little kind of. It, it kind of screwed over Chelsea in that it also was he was the player who scored, scored the goal. The goal. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he, scored, he scored his first scored. goal for Manchester United. Yep. That and I was like, well, the man who could have possibly been set off gets the goal. That is the night. That's the nightmare for the referee, where it's like, oh yeah. man. <laughs> I, <laughs> so of I, course, I yeah, it's crazy. I I honestly feel like the way they can kind of fix the the fluctuation of uh, influence of VAR is just have one ref be the VAR in house ref. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like if you do that, that eliminates a lot of those, you know, those opinionated calls that you can get with different people being behind the VAR system. I feel like just get one guy to be in-house and it can pretty much create more of a uh, more consistency in terms of the red cards and yellow cards and the decisions that are made. Mm-hmm. And also... At the same time, if we see something that's like blatantly obvious, that's like almost like a carbon copy of a previous foul we've seen before. Exactly. You just like go off def- that. Yeah, go that's off that. Precedent. Mm-hmm. It's like that. That's at the like Kyungmin Sun's red card set the precedent. It's like, all right, no one can kick each other anymore in the chest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I feel like that should be the thing. And, you know, s- situations are different. I will say that every game's a little different but even then something yeah. such as being yeah. kicked in the chest that's it's obvious that's pretty clear that's pretty clear and obvious mm-hmm. but man and for i would say the aspilicueta push from fred from behind that one i i don't know why that was called back that should have been chelsea's goal and- yeah cuz <laughs> you if you notice a lot of times you can tell when Players just know it's a goal. Like I, after that goal win, I didn't see any United players be like, "Hey, like check the VAR." They were just like, "Ah, oh, mm-hmm. we conceded. Like now we just got to go back and try to score another one." You know, because mm-hmm. that's some cheese. Because if that precedent is sent, where it's like, "Oh, the defending team can just shove over an attacking player and then knock over, and then like have a domino effect where knocking over Ooh. one player on the enemy yeah. team that's bad. knocks over your own teammate, and then that causes a foul." It's like, "Oh, that's a bad precedent to set." Uh, it was a horrible day for var the more you Mm -hmm. think about it it was just a horrible day for var in the the premier league this is Mm -hmm. a this is a pretty big game too this is chelsea and manchester united these aren't two small teams these are some of the biggest teams in europe Mm -hmm. and it was a bad 
Yeah, it was a bad, huge following in the United States. Bad showcase of VAR mm-hmm. for the United, for people for the Premier and League. This is a top seven battle where this result can determine whether a team gets Europa League or Champions League. Mm-hmm. So this is rather big, and also for both teams, Chelsea in particular, they've been struggling with some form. Where in the last fourteen games, only won about four of those. So this yeah. would be a huge turnaround if they can get some momentum going and then, you know, jumpstart into the Champions League and also into just regular, the rest of the uh, Premier League season. And also for Manchester United, this is also big for them in that they're trying to get some momentum going as well for having Bruno Fernandes, Bruno Fernandes in their team, losing Marcus Rashford to injury and just having a little bit more consistency in the defense. But to win it like this, I don't know how that will affect the team. Will they really get take this as a main positive it's like oh yeah we surely won this but i feel like in the back of their minds for at least manchester united players they're like dang vr really helped us out there for this one yeah you you do think it lucky sometimes but man yeah i I don't know it's like one of those like you just they're in a they're they're not in a position where they have the luxury of being like oh man we got lucky they just need to pick up points but yeah it was definitely uh some cheese from var there but i wanted to point out with Marcus Rashford, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer confirmed yesterday that he doesn't expect Rashford to be back for the rest of this season. And he feels like he could probably miss out on the Euros, which is a big loss for England because Marcus Rashford this season seemed like he kind of finally turned the corner in terms of being more consistent with his end product, whether that be with assist and goal scoring. He still had some sporadic moments, but you really felt like he was trying to. He was really starting to turn into that game changer. So it's a big loss for Manchester United and England to not have him back. Mm-hmm. And then and Bruno Fernandes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So not only are I want to do a quick thing about or a quick mention for England strikers in general. Where oh yeah, Harry Kane. They're, they're losing everyone. <laughs> Harry Raheem Kane Sterling's is out of phone. Mm-hmm. And Raheem Sterling's injured for now. But also, Tammy Abraham did not play this game either and because he was injured. out from injury. So he, the, the way Chelsea are going, they may need to rush him back, and that's not good for England's chances either. So honestly, right now, it's looking like Danny Ings <laughs> is projected to be the and main Jamie starting. Vardy. And Unless Jamie Vardy coming out of retirement, maybe. Yeah, they might have to like persuade him big time. Mm-hmm. But, man, this is some um, big news for the good. England national team. It's not good. Basically, every England striker is just getting injured. So, Danny Ings, if you're listening to the pod, you know, <laughs> take care of yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he definitely needs to because it's big loss for England. Um, I, w- I wanted to quickly mention that Bruno Fernandes, he just looks, he just provides so much spark to the Manchester United midfield. Like, everything, it just flows better with him. He's way better than Pereira and Lingard. And you can just see the the dramatic increase in quality from those from Bruno Fernandes to, you know, Andres Pereira running in the number 10 position. But it was a good win. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with VAR kind of covering up the conversation with that one. But I, as I did mention, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has beaten Chelsea three times this season. And I wanted to point out with Solskjaer, when the going gets tough, he somehow find a way to get a result against these big teams. He's beaten City. He's beaten... Um, he hasn't beaten Arsenal, but drawn against Arsenal. Obviously lost the game at the Emirates, but uh, beat Chelsea, uh, has beaten Tottenham. And obviously he drew against Liverpool, but lost uh, you know, at Anfield against Liverpool. So he's has shown that he can do it in the big games. However, 
you know, it's those little, those smaller opposition or the teams that are below them. That's where they struggle. But I wanted to switch this over to Frank Lampard because, as we mentioned, I brought this conversation up maybe two or three op- episodes ago. You know, Frank Lampard hasn't gotten a lot of stick. And I know they obviously got screwed over with VAR in this one, but it's not like Chelsea have been in some fine run of form. They have been struggling and they don't have a striker that Frank Lampard can trust uh, besides Tammy Abraham. He doesn't really like Olivier Giroud and Michi Bacuay, let's face it, is not that good as a starter. And a couple of their younger players are floating in and out of form or or injured. And their defense has never been that solid um, since the start of the season. So Frank Lampard, this is a big stretch for him. And he's got the Champions League tie against Bayern Munich. So he's really going to find out a lot about these players and whether he can really trust them going forward in his managerial career at Chelsea. And also this would be a big test for him in that can he figure out how to find a solution, how to find results despite all of these injuries. And yeah, the pressure is on. on him. Yeah, so the pressure is on for him. And this is, I would say, when both me and Yes are starting to think it's like all right maybe Lampard should get a little bit of stick now because it's now becoming a little bit more consistent that he's not getting results where yeah you know before it was like all right maybe it's just like an off month an off week but now it's like man it's been a couple months now a few months yeah and if at this rate he's not going to get Champions League for next season so we'll see how he does in the upcoming weeks but now he's he's on yeah, you know, he's been in the fourth place, I believe, since October. So he's comfortably been in there. But now that, that fourth place spot is up for grabs. And the team that's right below him that is fighting for or gunning for that fourth spot is Tottenham. They beat Aston Villa with basically Hunman's son getting completing his race and scoring a last-minute goal uh, to get the winner against them off a poor Aston Villa back pass that just allowed Son to get in. Mm-hmm. However, the bigger news there was Son actually, I believe, fractured his forearm. Um which is big news for them because Jose Mourinho basically confirmed that he doesn't think Hyunmin Son will make it back for this for back in time for for this season. That's huge news because with Harry Kane out, Hyunmin Son is basically the best goal scorer that Tottenham really have. And for me, I view Son as a lot of people can see him as a top ten player. I honestly see him as a top five player in the Premier League just because he's so dynamic and so you know so fast and he's so skillful and he can also. I mean, he's got like a rocket of a foot. I mean, he can finesse from either foot and his, you know, his shots are just always powerful, accurate. He always knows what's to do. He's just an overall solid player. So to lose him, big, big news. Big, 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 devastating news for Tottenham. Mm-hmm. Youngman's son could be a player that can be put into any team, honestly, in the world at this point. He's yeah. Like two footed, but right now he's out for at least six to eight weeks at the minimum. And this is a injury to his forearm that occurred around three years ago during the World Cup qualifier where he injured that same spot. So this is not a reoccurring injury, but this is a injury to the same spot in his arm. So that's why it's so serious. But now we've already seen Tottenham kind of struggle with not having a striker, not having Harry Kane, and now not having Hyungman's son. In the Champions League, also, we're not going to go too deep into it, but they couldn't score against RB Leipzig. Leipzig, nope. They lost 1 0. Deli Alli got subbed off and was not mm-hmm. happy. Not happy. Yeah. So the goals aren't coming from Deli Alli. The goals aren't really coming from any other player on and the team. This is one like Lucas Mora, Steven Bergwin, um, Eric Lamella. I mean, they're all, they're all going to have to step up and find yeah. a way to score some goals. And they're all wingers. <laughs> yes. So. 
I'm like, man, what? <laughs> I'm glad they got Bergwin now because that Ooh, is for sh- they need that they need, they need that. him. But so at first I was like, man, this is such a random signing. But now it's like, all right, that kind of covered their butt right there of that signing. But even then, they need a striker. And just yeah. looking at their bench, it's like Ndombele is not their striker. Lo <laughs> Celso yeah. is not their striker. Like, there's no one to come off the bench that can really fill in that mm-hmm. gap. Daily Ali, I guess, will have to be the striker or Lucas Mora in maybe a a two up top formation or something like that. But based yeah. on the current formations that Jose Mourinho has been setting up for Tottenham, he likes to play a four two three one with a single striker up top. I'm not sure if he's going to really adjust that to the players he has available. But now this is a big issue in that yes. of all players to get injured for Tottenham, Oof, it's son. Youngman's son. And it it's an be. arm injury. It's not even like yeah. a leg. So for all those who are thinking, it's like, man, you don't need your arms. <laughs> it's, you play soccer with your, with your legs. You man, still need your arms. Running without norms. Run around. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And also, <laughs> if anyone just runs into you, you're screwed. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, like, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt like crazy. So that's why man. Youngman's son is just out. No, it, it, it's crazy that this happened for Tottenham. Um, and Jose Mourinho said after the RB Leipzig defeat, he basically said he had a team that had, it was a gun with no bullets. I mean, that's basically how he described the situation in terms of their attacking front. Um, a huge loss for Tottenham. I, I just can't get over the fact that we just don't know what they're going to do now in terms of how they're going to set up. Like what can Jose Mourinho do? This is going to be a real test for him. Um, because you know, there's just not a lot of depth up there. They didn't really buy a backup striker to really supplement Harry Kane which they haven't done in years I mean they had Llorente but Llorente isn't you know he's not like a he was a decent backup but Mm -hmm. they they failed to really buy a backup they were in talks to get Odi and Igalo um as an emergency situation then obviously he chose Manchester United over Tottenham so Tottenham and Chelsea both clubs honestly you can throw in Manchester United three clubs three big clubs that are struggling with strikers right now because all their strikers are getting injured mm-hmm. but uh again they found a way to win in that in that three two win but i also before we move on i do want yeah. to mention aston villa yeah. i feel so bad for them because this isn't the first time also they've lost the potential to earn points i feel like that's a recurring thing for aston villa where mm-hmm. it's like they had a lead or they had a draw ready to go and then boom they just shoot themselves in the foot in the last five minutes of the game i feel like of all teams aston villa has been the reoccurring team that has lost points in the last minutes of the game yeah and that's kind of damaging for certain players like jack Grealish, where jack Grealish is one of those players that's been linked to other teams because he's literally just carrying the team and <laughs> their defense is not coming through. They got Pepe Reina in goal, and he saved them several times during this game, but it's a, just, just that last opportunity that came because of Bjorn Engel's mistake, just that miscontrol from a long pass, and then just Hyung Min-sun got on a breakaway and scored. It was a tight angle, but Hyung Min-sun still did it, and that was another loss for Aston Villa. And if Aston Villa, with this kind of character, not really finishing out games continues on for the rest of the 11 or so games for the rest of the season. They're looking like they're going to be the team that gets relegated. They're like another team that looking like Norwich right now, that goes straight from going promoted and then straight back down yep. the next season. So, And it's not good because I've heard that the valuation, because a lot of Premier League teams, specifically Manchester United, want to get Jack Grealish. However, 
if he gets relegated with Aston Villa, his price and his valuation will go down because you can basically get him for a bargain price, sort of what happened with uh, Genie Wijnaldum when he got relegated with Newcastle. Liverpool kind of bought him for more of a bargain price. Mm-hmm. But if he does stay, I'm hurting the figure that's being quoted. If he does, if Aston Villa find a way to stay in the Premier League, Jack Gillish will go around the figure of $85 million. So Ooh. if they if they stay in the Premier League, they can recruit. They can get a lot of money off Jack Grealish. However, if they don't and they do they do try to sell him, they're going to miss out on a lot of money. So some big news for Aston Villa's front. But going back to Tottenham, how, how do you think this affects their top four, their run for top four? Because it seemed like before the sun injury, they were starting to pick up some victories. And honestly, I, I thought I, I before the sun injury, I honestly thought they could make a run to be to overlap Chelsea and take them and take that fourth place spot from them. I honestly don't see how they're going to challenge for top four at this rate because they they lost both their main goal scorers, both of their main contributors to earning goals. So I don't see how they're going to score more than one or two goals per game at this rate. And also Jose Mourinho with his historical conservative nature, he's not very attacking mind. He's not very much of a, manager to go gung-ho in games either so to get one or two goals from having no strikers is also kind of a very in my opinion kind of a generous prediction for this team so I think they're going to be Atletico Madrid like where they're going to have to just win out games 1-0 and just that good though the defense isn't as good as Atletico Madrid and also their mentality and tactics and just like their overall build of the team is not really set up like Atletico Madrid where it's kind of like anti-football. But <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, they don't have the, the players to get the goals consistently every game. Yeah, Lucas Moore, Lamella, Bergwin can get a goal every here or there, but they're not strikers. They're not players that will get goals all the time. There are wingers, I would say, like, you know, Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane who can get the goals, but you don't see that in every team. You don't see that in all wingers. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they'll go off for a few games in a row, but they're not going to consistently do it for the rest of the season. So I think yeah. for Tottenham, you're going to see him in Europa League next season. That's a hot take, but kind of true. <laughs> Tottenham, Jose Mourinho going back to the Europa League. That is yep. a huge take. I honestly haven't, honestly have not given much thought about Tottenham's Champions League or Europa League um, chances just because I, I obviously they're still in the Champions League, but that's insane to think that with this squad that they're going to be back in the Europa League. Ugh, that is not good. That's not a good look. But moving on to the Norwich Liverpool game. Honestly, Tal and I were talking about this before the episode. Uh historically, Liverpool have pretty much dominated Norwich. I mean, they pretty much like smoked them and they score probably the, some of the most incredible goals. I think back at the 2013-14 mm-hmm. season with where Luis Suarez. Suarez. Yeah, just scored some incredible goals. However, this game was a much different game. I think Norwich, you know, Tyler can attest to this too. Norwich had some pretty good chances. I mean, Timo Puki and Todd Cantwell were in the run-in to probably score some goals, but they couldn't They couldn't get the job done. And then Liverpool, uh, Sadio Mane, just basically plucking the ball from the air from, a, I think it was a Jordan Henderson. Um, Jordan long Henderson. Ball. Yeah, long ball from Jordan Henderson. But Mane's touch, that touch and that turn, I believe, and he just slotted it past the keeper i mean that was that's world class that's a world class finish and that you know that's why liverpool keep winning games that that moments where they can take the punches from other teams 
but they have that world-class quality in the squad where they can basically, any of those players can just do something incredible and make something incredible out of nothing. Not a lot of teams can say that, but Liverpool can. And consistently do that every single game. Yeah. And lose the one-off game like how Manchester City did at the beginning of the season where they did lose to this Norwich side 3-2. Yeah. But at the same time, I did have several heart attacks during this game. <laughs> Norwich were looking like they could score. and But even then, because of their quality, like their lack of confidence, they could even sweat a goal in. There was at one point, it was a 2v goalie situation where it was, I believe, Timu Puki and Todd Cantwell just on the breakaway. And then they tried to sweat a goal where basically one of the players were would draw Allison and then pass the ball to the other player who should be wide open, but Allison intercepted the sweat pass and, and stopped the breakaway by himself. So Norwich can't even score the easy goal right. But despite that, Liverpool with Sadio Mane's world-class goal and also just him coming back from injury, which is great news and just like great confidence booster for him. It's, it's looking likely that Liverpool are going to win the title within the next five or six games or so because right now they're about 15 points away from mathematically winning the title and second place Man City if Liverpool lose the rest of the games after those 15 points and Man City just win the rest they mathematically cannot catch Liverpool so it's crazy to say because it's only mid-February right now and Liverpool are on track to win the title by mid-March which is an insane thing to say as a Liverpool fan. But also, unfortunately for Yush, this past weekend, it has also been officially deemed that Manchester United are mathematically unable to win the title this season. So they're officially out yeah. of the title race. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, we all, we all kind of knew that was, uh, that was a thing way back in September. Mm. But <laughs> going into this game, it was literally a 50-point gap between first... For Liverpool in the title or in the league versus Norwich, who are twentieth place, dead last. It was a fifty-point gap. It was an insane thing to look at. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Which is why I was expecting a five-nil at least, a six-nil. I was like, "Oh, yeah, this, this is for sure a six. This is gonna be an easy walk in the park." And then I'm like, "Oh my gosh, what happened?" <laughs> so Liverpool, despite the win, I was a little, a little concerned, but I can't be too greedy because. In the end, they still did get the three points an inch closer to that title, that that promised land right there. That 30-year wait is coming to an end this year. 2020 is the year. Year <laughs> of the rat. <laughs> mm. The Zodiac. So it's looking good. My year. <laughs> oh, man. It, it hurts to hear that. Not going to lie from a Manchester United fan, but it happens. But um. You know, we, we don't want to dive too much into the Champions League, but however, Liverpool did finally lose this year. They lost to Atletico Madrid um, 1-0. They were playing at the Wanda Metropolitano. Um, obviously, if every, everyone knows, that's where Liverpool captured the Champions League title last season in that same stadium. However, they didn't get the same luck during uh, Tuesday's game where basically Diego Simeone side just scored in the very first minutes of the game and just sat back and defended like crazy. I want to pose this question. Because we all mentioned that Liverpool have been incredible this whole season in the Premier League. However, because the lack of challenge like we've seen at places like Ligue 1 and um, the Bundesliga and maybe the Serie A at some points where 
you know, Juve are always on top, Bayern Munich are always on top, PSG are always on top, that the lack of challenge they are getting from the domestic league it could hurt their chances in the Champions League. Do you feel like that is the same case that Liverpool could be facing this year? As a Liverpool fan that's looked at this team for several years now, I don't see them as the team that's clearly dominating the league still, despite the numerical gap between first, second, and also first to save and fourth. But I still think the Premier League is still one of the most competitive leagues, if not the most competitive football league in the world. So I think every single time Liverpool do play, they have to really put out all their cards. And and we see that in Klopp putting out his best starting eleven every single time. We see Sadio Mane start almost every game. We see Mo Salah start almost every game. Firmino, like the whole back four of Van Dijk, Trent, Robertson. Like everyone basically plays every single game, no matter who they play. And even against his Norwich side, dead last, he still plays that same back four. And although Sadio Mane didn't play, he did get subbed in. But I think that although it looks like Liverpool are dominating this whole season, I still have that little thought in the back of my head. It's like, you know, they did get away with some results. Like they inched some of their wins, you know, particularly against like Aston Villa, against Norwich this game. Some games went for us in terms of VAR. So... It's not the same, I feel like, in terms of when you see Juventus dominate Serie A or Bayern Munich dominate Bundesliga or PSG dominate Liga. It's It feels like for Liverpool, it's a lot more earned in that the competition are a lot more close to them in terms of ability and just the quality of players where from PSG and, say, like Lyon in Liga, uh, like the gap between first and second. Yeah. It's just so much more. It's huge, yeah. It's so much bigger. Well, in the beginning of this season, we saw Man City and Liverpool. was like, man, this could be a very tight race again. But now, all of a sudden, it's like, mm-hmm. dang, where that, where did this gap come from? <laughs> no, so, I, yeah, that's why I think it's like, I think Liverpool were just kind of lapsed in concentration and not really prepared for the atmosphere for the Wanda Metropolitano against Atletico Madrid, and also they were a little. They did not play too well, I'd say, in against Atletico Madrid in that they, Van Dijk made a mistake, which is very rare for him to see, against uh, Saul in the corner kick that led to the goal for Atletico Madrid. And then also, just they weren't clinical, which is kind of rare to hear from a Liverpool side where usually they only need or one or two chances and then they get the goal. Or they don't, all they need is maybe even a half chance and then get the goal, but it just weren't clinical this game, so... It's it's kind of crazy to expect perfection from a team like Liverpool, but we've been seeing it basically all the, all the season. But I feel like this game it kind of brought them back to earth, and hopefully in the in the reverse fixture at Anfield for the second leg, Liverpool get that two 0 victory and go through to the next round, which I still think will happen. Anfield's a whole different fortress that Atletico Madrid I don't think are ready for, and usually Atletico Madrid average according to La Liga about one goal or less a game. <laughs> so I don't see Atletico scoring more goals at Anfield, or if they do oh, yeah. score, it'll just be one. Mm-hmm. And I see Liverpool being able to break down that defense and find some gaps and get that goal and go through to the next round. So I have confidence in them. No, I have, I have confidence in Liverpool too, to eventually <laughs> win the second leg and get the go on to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. That's just a quick question I wanted to pose, but going to 
the Arsenal-Newcastle game. Arsenal getting probably a perfect result of uh, under Mikel Arteta. This is probably her second, third time. I think the first perfect one probably came against Manchester United. However, they beat them 4-0. Newcastle again getting thrashed by the big boys. They got thrashed by Manchester United getting thrashed by Arsenal. This is the first game, I believe, all season where Nicola, Nicola Pepe, Aubameyang and Lacazette have all scored in the same game. And we're going to sprinkle in that Ozil also got a goal as goal too. So that's huge news for Arsenal. Their top four, I guess, playmakers, their big their big guys on big money have finally got, on, got onto the score sheet. And Lacazette, interesting enough, didn't start this game. It was Eddie and Kentia that started over Gabriel Martinelli, which was also very interesting. However, looking at the stats for this game, I didn't get a chance to really watch this one, but... The stats said it all. I mean, Arsenal dominated this game with the possession, the passing, the shots. If you looked at this stat line and you compared it to maybe a Manchester City stat line uh, two years ago or last year, you can definitely see the workings of Mikel Arteta being under Pep Guardiola just with the fact that the total domination of the passing, the shooting, controlling the ball, controlling where it goes... Very, very similar to what Pep Guardiola did with is doing with Manchester City. And not to mention that Danny Ceballos actually started alongside Granit Xhaka and not Lucas Torreira. I have a feeling that's not going to be a permanent thing. I think that was more down to uh, them playing Newcastle. However, you know, uh, Pep Guardiola also dropped, you know, David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne when he first joined, you know, probably a little bit deeper in the midfield to be more of that creative playmaker deeper in the midfield. So... I don't know if it's similar similar situation there, but I, I honestly felt it was more of a Newcastle situation type thing. But perfect result for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And some key players really showed up this game. In particular, I feel like Bukai, Bukayo Saka, the left back. He yeah. really he had a highlight reel during this game where he basically juked out the new loaning player, Valentino Lazaro from Inter Milan. Mm-hmm. He was the right back for... Newcastle, he basically nutmegged him and then got the assist to Pepe for his first goal. And it was this move that really jump-started Arsenal to be clearly dominant in this game where for the first half, no one scored. And then in the second half, after a quick two goals from Aubameyang and Pepe, that's when Arsenal were looking like, oh, wow, all of a sudden the complexion of the whole stadium and the whole team and everyone looking into this game was thinking, oh, Arsenal looking good now all of a sudden. And then we see Ozil score. It's like, oh, Ozil scores his first game, first goal of the season. And wow. this is this result, 4-0, is also the first time under Mikel Arteta that this team has scored more than two goals in a game, which is a little crazy to hear. Yeah. But Newcastle are just struggling. They're, they can't find the goals. Miguel Marone hurts Marie to say, but he's not being as consistent as he was, of course, at Lane United. But Joel Linton only scoring two goals this season as the main striker is atrocious. Not good. That's some Benteke-level stats right there. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alan St. Maxim, Maxim he's, he's getting those chances. He's trying to – I see him get those finesse shots every spot. once in a while. He is a bright spot, but he's not finding the back of that either. And yeah. these are the main three players that are – their main – Sources of goals. It's not the defense, as <laughs> we've seen during the holiday season where Newcastle just scoring from corner kicks and set plays. They need mm-hmm. their front three to get those goals and at least make the defense worry. But as you just mentioned, basically this whole game, it was all Arsenal. And it's a little worrying for Newcastle, but at the same time, 
other teams are doing a little bit worse than them <laughs> as yeah, we mentioned so that, in this episode but yeah so i don't i'm not really too concerned about them but that is a little thing to make note of for the rest of the season at least where it's like man newcastle are struggling and is making maybe this arsenal win look a little better than it was but i don't want to yeah, take no, anything from it though because arsenal did look beautiful this game no they they definitely did and i think they are going to be a work in progress just because Arteta took over the team middle of the season and he still needs to figure out everything with these players. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Arsenal start to make a little bit of a run because up to this point, they kept drawing a lot of their games. So it wasn't they were losing. They just couldn't find that finishing touch. Mm-hmm. And they finally brought it on to this game, winning 4-0. But Arsenal, their team to kind of watch out for. I know, obviously, their Arsenal, everyone's going to be watching out for them. But... They're not the best seated place in the table right now. I wouldn't be surprised if they start making a run and slowly inch their way to maybe fighting for, you know, a sixth, fifth place spot. I think top four is a little out of reach just because they struggled so much for the whole season that making up that ground for points is going to be a little tough. But I definitely think maybe trying to get fifth place wouldn't be out of out of this world. But Arsenal team to look out for. And then Southampton, Burnley. Uh, Burnley getting a 2-1 win over Southampton. Again, Danny Ings scoring. So, you know, England, if you're Gareth England. Southgate, you got, you got Danny Ings. So don't worry. Don't worry about mm-hmm. Harry Kane. Don't worry about Marcus Rashford. You got future Ballon d'Or winner Danny Ings in the, Danny Ings. In the shadow. Former <laughs> Liverpool legend. And he's he is one of the top goal scorers in the Premier League, despite all yeah. the jokes are thrown out there. He has 15 goals at least. Last time I checked. And Jamie but, Vardy, where's Jamie Vardy at? Close yeah. to I think he's 15, 14 as well. Mm-hmm. He's leading the pack. So two England strikers right there. If Jamie Vardy wants to come out of retirement, I think England would be happy, happy. that if yeah. yeah, very happy if he did. But uh, just another result out there that we want to throw out. But. Oh, I also do want to say, Ashley Westwood, yeah. congratulations for scoring a corner directly <laughs> during oh, this yeah. game. I did he, see that, yes. David Beckham did right there, <laughs> where it was a very windy day at Southampton, and I don't know bad. what Danny Ings was thinking guarding near post, but he just moved out the way, and all of a sudden, Ashley Westwood's cross just went straight into the goal. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah, and little things like that. And also, Vidra, he is a signing that... Came to Burnley two seasons ago, and he was one of the top goal scorers in the championship. And he kind of disappeared in the background, but sure enough, he gets the winning goal for this game, which is a little surprising. Where Burnley just all of a sudden, we always see Burnley as one of those teams that just manages to find results some way, somehow. Whatever players they have it seems to be like very makeshift teams, but you know they have a system that works under Sean Dyche, and I mean credits to him that he's managing to get the results despite not having very consistent form and having like random kind of lineups at times and just bringing back players from the dead. It's looking like, but we'll see if Vidra and these kind of players can come back. Cause you know, Chris Wood has been one of the main players that's been starting and he did start this game, but he got subbed off early, but I do want to pose a question to you, Yush in terms of for Southampton and that do you still feel like Southampton are safe from the relegation talk. I feel like they they are safe because they do have the goal scorers we mentioned Danny Ings and when you if we we've seen precedent has shown us that if you have a good solid goal scorer and if you're struggling you'll find a way to kind of sneak out of the relegation battle just because you can guarantee that your main man is going to score your goal. So that's why I'm not really worried for Southampton. 
I think for other teams like Aston Villa, I'm a little worried because I know they obviously have Jack Grealish, but he's not a striker. Um, and he can only do so much as, you know, that little playmaker he is because he does get fouled a lot. However, Danny Ings, he's a full-on striker. So I, I'm not I'm not too worried for Southampton. Because, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning of the season, they were hovering in there. But, you know, sure enough, we never really mentioned them in, in the relegation zone and the relegation talks even to begin with. But now with Danny Ings making a case for not only England, but also making sure Southampton stays safe, I can, I feel like we can basically stamp it where it's like, you know what, Southampton, I think they're good to go. Uh-huh. It's it's only February, but I feel like Southampton have done enough, and I feel like yeah. they're projected to win enough games, get enough draws to get that 40-point mark where it's like, all right, they're safe. No, I, 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 being worse than them. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. After losing, what was it, 9-0 uh, mm-hmm. against Leicester City earlier in the season? I mean, to be losing 9-0 to, to be at this point, I think they'll be happy with that. Uh, I think they definitely will stay safe in the Premier League because they have, obviously, the striker, Danny Ings. But mm-hmm. quickly moving on to the prediction side, um, we have some really good matchups this uh, this week. I would not start off with, I, I would say, the biggest one, but uh, this one, not a low-key one, but it's still going to be a big one. It's Arsenal-Everton, both, both teams sitting pretty closely in the table. Uh, I think Everton are just above Arsenal right now, but Everton have picked up some form with Ancelotti. He seems like he's starting to make the get the best out of Richarlison, and we're starting to see a really good inform Richarlison and Everton in general are just playing a lot better. And so are Arsenal. Arsenal under Arteta. Arteta's finding the right players and getting them to score with Ozil, Pepe, Aubameyang, Lacazette all scoring. That helps their confidence. And with this game being at the Emirates, I'm going to say Arsenal get a 2-1 win. And I actually think Lacazette and Aubameyang will score. Oh. Yeah. This is a big match. I say that a lot for my, for a lot of matches. But <laughs> this one in particular, I feel like both teams are starting to gain momentum and getting that manager's tactics really down and that playing style and the culture really into the team. We're seeing Everton come back from games and getting the wins and getting the results. We're seeing Arsenal come off their best Premier League game of the season so far, and also some of the players that have been struggling starting to get the goals, like Ozil and Lacazette, and of course Pepe as well. And it's making them look really good. And we didn't even mention Mustafi started the last game, and they got a clean sheet, which is mm-hmm. amazing to Mustafi. me. <laughs> but with all this, I think both teams are just starting to get some form. I don't really see one team being more dominant than the other. So I think it'll be a 2-2. It'll be a good game. So I recommend this game for all those who are wondering. It's like, what should I watch? I feel like it would be this game. Because we right. don't know. This is probably most volatile. <laughs> no, I'm going 2-1. Tyler's going 2-2. And then we got Leicester versus Manchester City. This game obviously has a big implications with Manchester City getting the two-year Champions League ban handed to them and Leicester City being in that third-place spot. Leicester do have a chance now to potentially find themselves if they can pick up some form to finish in second place if City do get a reduction of points, you know, if they get a reduction of points. However, it's at the KP. Oh, I don't know. I, I feel like with all this news, I feel like Pep has probably put on an encouraging speech. And <laughs> as we all know, an angry Pep is not a team you want to face. So whenever you face off an angry Pep, he usually finds a way to win. So hear me out. I'm going to go for a 3-1 Le- Manchester City win. Oh. Yeah. 
That's a that's a big scoreline for Manchester City. Angry Pep, man. Angry Can't... Pep. You have to give it to there. For me, this is a very difficult one because it, it depends on the motivation of the team. I think Manchester City will be fired up because after last game, although it was against a West Ham team that is in the relegation zone right now, Emmerich Laporte did start and he's won his four his within his first fifty games for Manchester City. He's won forty three of them, which is an wow. insane record. He shattered the record for most wins within the first fifty games. By one, <laughs> which is currently, <laughs> which was previously held by Aaron Robin, if anyone remembers him, he is one oh of my the gosh. key players in FIFA. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> for this game, I feel like Pep would have his team sorted out, and with more stability under Laporte, I feel like this was a whole different team when Laporte was back in the defense. It's like man, it actually looked like more stable, a lot more consistent in trying to get out the back. Fernandinho in the defensive yeah. mid position, then you got Rodri. They had too many players. Exactly. And Gabriel Jesus in the last game, we didn't really mention the Manchester City versus West Ham game, but he had so many chances that he just wanted to look, he wanted like cool kill cam. He wanted to juke out the juke out the goalie, juke out the entire team, and then walk it in. I was like, man, this guy could have gotten a hat trick. But with a Gabriel Jesus with that much confidence to juke out a team, maybe not have the confidence to score. Maybe. <laughs> They'll have the opportunities in this game, and I think Man City will win 1-0. It'll be a very close match, but I kind of also am kind of thinking back to a few se- or last season when company scored that rocket goal, and Leicester were just very defensive that whole game. I think it'll be very similar to that game, and I think City will find a way to get that 1-0. I don't want to see a 0-0, a nil-nil. Please don't do that, but I think a 1-0 is going to happen with City. Yeah. Both these teams love attacking, so I couldn't see a nil-nil, but I got 3-1. He's got a 1-0 City win. And then, obviously, the biggest matchup of this weekend, Chelsea-Tottenham. Frank Lampard needs to find some form with this Chelsea team. It's really going to be the test of like what he can do with this squad and test of his character. And then, obviously, Tottenham losing in the Champions League, losing Hyunmin Son. Jose Mourinho has to find some answers for the striking position. It's a, North Lo- it's a London derby. Chelsea Tottenham, this this rivalry always gets people riled up, and obviously Tottenham or Chelsea got the got the win over Tottenham, and Frank Lampard obviously got the one over his old boss. However, I don't know. This game's gonna be tough. I feel like with both teams in the position they're at, with the lack of quality up front for both sides, I don't know. I feel like it'll probably end up becoming a one-one. Hmm. That's interesting you say that because I also say 1-1 just straight up (laughs) because, yeah, both teams in particular are just going to be struggling to score. And this is too big of a game for them to not score and go nil-nil. I wouldn't say it wouldn't be completely out of the blue or kind of surprise me if it is a nil-nil because in the past few weeks, we have seen several nil-nil games, which have been kind of kind of tear your eyes out i want my 90 minutes back of my life back kind of results but <laughs> for this game we've always historically seen like not fights drama. but a lot drama. of drama we see this was a matchup where in the season where lester won the title eden hazard scores a freaking banger in the top yeah right? and then, then Willigan kind of, almost gets in a fight mm-hmm. and then you see tottenham seven players get yellow cards and basically all this commotion happens <laughs> but <laughs> I think 
I, there will be some drama again. We see Lampard and Jose Mourinho go back and forth, like Padawan versus Master, Jedi Master, kind of like that. But I think it'll be a 1-1. Basically, yeah. long way of sitting, long-winded way of saying <laughs> that. No, it, it's going to be a really fun one to watch because this, this matchup always has a lot of drama and both teams are in need of some quality. It's going to be a good one to watch, but uh, that kind of does it for us. Please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Um, like I said before, this kind of does it for us for episode 64. Really appreciate you guys. Um, appreciate the support. Thank you guys so much. Peace. Peace.